Let's pray. Lord, we, as we come into your, uh, come into your word today, Lord, we ask that your spirit would anoint, uh, what is said and what is heard, for your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, it's interesting, the, um, it's interesting the answer people give sometimes. Interesting the answer that people give. There's a great Christian writer of last century called G.K. Chesterton. And uh, he was asked one time if he were marooned on a desert island, what would be the one book that he would like to have? Wonderful Christian writer. And so he's asked, if you were uh, marooned on a desert island, what would be the one book that you would like to have? And guess what his answer was? No, his answer was a practical guide to boat building. <laughs> and when Jesus was, was asked what is the greatest commandment, he had a surprising answer. What is the greatest commandment? And what Jesus came up with was not one answer, but two. He was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he didn't give one answer, he gave two. And, and in fact, he called those two answers hooks. And he said, what Jesus said was, uh, all of scripture hang on these two hooks. And what, what brought it about was the opponents of Jesus. They came to Jesus with questions, as they often did. You know, you notice that sometimes people pose questions actually uh, as questions, but they're not actually looking for an answer. They're coming, it's really passive-aggressive. As they came to Jesus asking for one thing, and he gave them two. And sometimes we try to to boil things down to a bumper sticker, but obedience to God is not often like that. You can't fit it on a bumper sticker. And we're going to look at that. It's Matthew 22, Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 to 40. It's called the greatest commandment, but it's actually the greatest commandments. <laughs> Verse 34, and when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they themselves gathered together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with a question. Teacher, which of the command, which commandment is the greatest in the law? Jesus declared, Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Different bits of the pizza. And God is just bits of the pizza. But that is not what Jesus said. Jesus said, love God with everything. Everything. The greatest commandment demonstrates that loving God is not just a piece of the pie, a piece of the of, of the pizza. It's everything. It is everything and it relates to everything, including including people. 
ngā tangata, which is why Jesus inserts the second commandment. Even though he's only asked for one, he adds a second one. Verse 39, the second is like it. And I can now think, uh, I just had another one, uh, four business people who have told me the same thing, that some of their worst experiences in business have been with Christian people. Now, why is that? Why is that? And it's, <laughs> it's when people try to compartmentalize life, and so they're spiritual, one hunk of the pizza, and then business is another, and they don't relate. Well, that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, love God with everything. The, the business part is God's part as well. The spirit of Jesus is to permeate all aspects of your life, including financial, relationships, everything. It is the call to give everything to God. That's Matthew 22. And the number after 22 is 23. And in Matthew 23, we have one of the very few references Jesus makes to tithing. And tithing has a lot of danger attached to it. It's probably not a coincidence that 23 follows 22. Right, 21, 22, 23. Tithing has some danger attached to it. And the danger is that in tithing, tithing means 10%, is that we, we carve out a hunk of our money and say, that's yours, God, and everything else is mine. And tithing actually is a wonderful place to start, but it's a terrible, terrible place to end. Because Jesus said we are to give everything to God. And uh, in terms of tithing, we as church leadership, we advocate it. It's a great place to start. Great place to start, but it's a terrible place to end. Uh, and an uh, interesting thing about tithing these days is modern people tend to spray it all over the place. <laughs> uh, but you know what? If you eat at McDonald's, you don't pay for it at KFC. And if you consider this place your spiritual home, then this is where you should give. I've had some interesting conversations about that. Um, and <laughs> the church um, is blessed that from time to time we've had um, giving from former members of the church, we had one last week actually, and I remember having a conversation with uh, a young professional, and that they'd been blessed by this church, and they they were a huge blessing to this church while they were here, and they said to me, um, "We're, we're going to be moving, we're going to end up in another town, but we want to. We're thinking about just continuing to tithe here. What do you think?" And I said, "I don't think you should." I don't think you should um, tithe here. I, I think that where you land up, in that town you land up, you should really plant yourself there and give yourself to that fellowship, that community of faith where you end up. Because if you, if you eat at McDonald's, don't pay for it at KFC. 
Tithing, wonderful place to start. If you're not giving financially, don't kid yourself. What Jesus said is, uh, where your money is, that's where your heart follows. Repeating Deuteronomy 6, verse 5, Jesus said, love God with everything, heart, soul, and mind. And, but he carries on. Ask for one answer, they got two. And then he said, and love people. Yep, Jesus said, verse 20, uh, chapter 23, you tithe 10% of everything to God. That's awesome. You even tithe your herb garden. That's awesome. The, the rosemary, that's fantastic. Uh, uh, mint, cool. Uh, coriander, that's primo. But you have forgotten uh, the other things. You've forgotten about loving people. At the same time of tithing even your herbs, you've neglected justice. You've neglected mercy. You've neglected faithfulness. You're not loving people. You're tithing from your herb garden, but you're not loving people. You should have done both. Both. Leviticus 19.18, this is where Jesus quotes out of. Love your neighbor as yourself. And loving God, as you're loving God, should flow into loving people. It's just, it's just natural. It's just organic. As the love of God comes into you, love for people flows out of you. One of my sisters-in-law tells this story. And when her sister came to faith, this is what happened. She said um, they were both sort of young adults and they would socialize together. They'd go out to parties together and they would uh, chop and change with clothes, but they were always very competitive with looking the best as they went out on the town. They wanted to look better than their sibling. And um, she said a strange thing happened one day. Her sister had just bought a new item of clothing. And as they're getting ready to go out, she said, um, oh, Tessa, you can wear that if you want. And she thought, that's weird. So, that's really weird. Something strange has happened to my sister. But what it was is that she had come to faith in Jesus. Actually, it wasn't weird. It was just that the love of God was flowing out of her into love of people. Matthew 22, the great commandments. But also there's another great C, the great commandment of Matthew 22, but in Matthew 28, there's also another great C, which is the great commission, Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. It's right at the end of Matthew's gospel. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Nareira haere, menga, 
Go and make disciples of all tribes. So that's both evangelism and discipleship and baptizing them. And baptizing in those days, and it should be in our day, meaning not just getting dipped, but baptizing them into a community of faith and teaching them. Uh, and, and Jesus said, and I will always be with you. Presence of God. And so this is not just getting scalps, not just converting people. It's not just catching fish. It's also filleting the fish. Amen, Jason? Make disciples and teach them to obey everything I have commanded. Evangelism without discipleship reminds me, uh, reminds me one time when I was flatting, and for some reason my brother came to stay as well, and uh, we had, for some reason we had, we had clippers in the flat, and we had a garage, and um, everyone thought they were a barber for some reason, including my brother. And uh, he, had a, he, he had a job where he was working shifts. And he was about to, to go to a shift, and one of the guys wanted a haircut, and he was in a rush, my brother, so he was eating his lunch and, and, sh- and shaving one of the guys, and then he realized he didn't have enough time. And so he handed the, the clippers on to someone else to finish off the job, and it, and it was ugly. And that's what evangelism without discipleship can, can be like. They go together. It's like railway tracks. Evangelism and discipleship. And, and uh, what has proved most effective for 2,000 years has been the local church doing both of those together. And when um, parachurch groups uh, are involved as well, that can be awesome for a short amount of time. And particularly when they are linked in some way to local church. Those things go together. And biblically speaking, mission is about being sent. Mission is about being sent. Acts 13. Acts 13, one of the church hubs in the first century was a place called Antioch. Antioch was about 770 kilometers north of Jerusalem. Uh, It's in modern-day Turkey, right close to Syria. The Apostle Paul spent a fair amount of time and effort in Antioch. And one time in, in Antioch, Acts 13, they were fasting and praying, and the Spirit said, This set apart for me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work I have called them. So after those at the church had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and they sent them. Then compare that with Acts 15. Acts 15 was about a huge church fight, which happens sometimes in church. And there was this big big church fight and... um, what had happened, Acts 15.24, what had happened was there were um, these people that had come up from Jerusalem and they had said that the new believers at Antioch, they had to start acting like Jewish believers. And there was this big, huge church fight as whether that should happen or not. Acts 15.24 says this. Acts 15.24. We heard that some went out from us, that's from Jerusalem, without our authorization and disturbed you, 
troubling your minds by what they said. So in Acts 13, Paul and Barnabas were sent, but in Acts 15, there were some unnamed people, and they went. See, sent sounds like went, but it's not the same. And mission is about being sent. It's not, it's not about being went. Right? There is a difference. Movement does not equal mission. Mission is all about sentness, sent by God and sent by the community of faith, by church. So evangelism, discipleship goes together. These other things is like, like the job description of the church. We talked about this last year. When we put those two C's together, Matthew 22 and the Great Commandment and the Great Commission of Matthew 28, we have our job description right there. And we looked at that last year. We'll show um, our tight five. Like in rugby, you know, the tight five, there's the two props, the hooker, the two locks. And we had some stunning gentlemen um, do that for us last year. So there's worship in the middle, there's um, evangelism, edification, which is teaching, and at the two locks of social concern and koinonia, fellowship. And the great, the great commandment and the great commission, it's all those five things together right there. It's, it's, it's everything, everything. But it's, it's, it's not like a, uh, a tick sheet, you know. It, it's, it's, it's more than that. It's like passion for God. Passion for God. And the way the great late uh, evangelist Billy Graham, he used to, to talk about it using this, um, this story, which I'm going to finish with. Um, it's from a, a young man who's actually calling off his his uh, marriage to a young woman, and he gives this reason. He was a young convert to communism. And so this this, uh, young college student was calling off his marriage, his engagement, and he gives this reason. We communists have a high casualty rate. We're the ones who get shot and hung, lynched, and tarred, and feathered, and jailed, and slandered, and ridiculed, and fired from our jobs, and in every other way made as uncomfortable as possible. A certain percentage of us get killed or imprisoned. We live in virtual poverty. We turn back to the party every penny we make above what is absolutely necessary to keep us alive. We communists don't have the time or money for many movies or concerts or T-bone steaks or decent homes and new cars. We've been described as fanatics. We are fanatics. Our lives are dominated by one great overshadowing factor, the struggle for world communism. We communists have a philosophy of life which no amount of money could buy. We have a cause to fight for, a definite purpose in life. We subordinate our petty personal selves into a great movement of humanity. And if our personal lives seem hard or our egos appear to suffer through subordination to the party, 
then we are adequately compensated by the thought that each of us, in his small way, is contributing to something new and true and better for mankind. There is one thing in which I am, I am dead earnest, and that is the communist cause. It is my life, my business, my religion, my hobby, my sweetheart, my wife, my mistress, my bread and meat. I work at it in the daytime and dream of it at night. It holds me. Its hold on me grows, not lessens as time goes on. Therefore, I cannot carry on a friendship, a love affair, or even a conversation without relating to this force which both drives and guides my life. I evaluate people, books, ideas, and actions according to how they affect the communist cause and my attitude toward it. I've already been in jail because of my ideas, and if necessary, I'm ready to go before a firing squad. And Billy Graham would often finish by asking this. I want to ask you, do you have that much dedication to the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you have that much dedication to the Lord Jesus Christ? Because the two great seas, Matthew 28, Matthew 22, it's really talking about giving our everything, our everything. It's not a... It's, it's not a hunk of the pie. It's not a piece of the pizza. Jesus asks for our everything. We're going to finish with a song. Uh, it's just going to be up there. We're going to stand. And um, you can sing if you want. You can just think about it. You can. Um, but it, the words are this. With everything, with everything, we will shout forth your glory. You know, the last thing that Jesus said in Matthew 28 is, and I will always be with you. I'll always be with you. It's not trying hard, not just trying harder, but being aware of the spirit of Jesus that he has promised to always be with you. Always, every day, every part of the day, every uh, subsection of your life. Yeah. So I want to bless these people today, Jesus, in your name. Uh, that they'd be aware that you are with them always, every day, every part of the day. And as they go through this week, be aware of your presence. Thank you for them. Bless them today in your mighty name. Amen. Lord be with you.